another day, another FPL pod, episode two for us now, Jack. Um, got some very interesting subjects to cover. What are we covering today? Uh, yeah, hello, Josh. Great to be back. Great to be back, as always. So today, we thought we're in this, we're sort of in the preseason mode still. So we thought we would cover some sort of, they're not tropes, really, are they? They are popular debates that happen around FPL and around the season, sort of statistics versus gut feeling type debates and basically points points of conversation that FPL managers have every single season. And we thought we would sort of deep dive into, into a few of the key ones that, that people talk about and see if we can draw draw some conclusions from the numbers, from the evidence, and hopefully, I guess, provide a bit of a bit of interesting insight in ahead of the ahead of the season. Would you say that fairly covers it? It's quite hard. <laughs> it's quite a hard thing to to kind of quantify. But yeah, four topics that will hopefully provide some insight. Exactly. Yeah, I think um, we. We try to pick out what would be interesting in terms of points of conversation, but also what managers would find useful, isn't it? So these are kind of themes or questions or or hot topics or even maybe arguments between managers as to what approach they would take across the season if it defines them and their way of managing their team. But also some people wear different hats and flip-flop between these throughout the season. So we're just trying to break it down, partly for us, selfishly for ourselves, you know, we want to make ourselves better managers as well, to Always. figure out, is it true, or was our preconceptions or our understanding of these correct? You know, maybe we'll find ourselves on the other side of the fence of a lot of these by the end of this okay. little session. So well, We're here for learning, aren't we, Josh? Exactly. We're here for learning and Growth. developing. So let's just say, let's, let's just say what they are, shall we? So there's four, four points of debate we're going to cover so the first is form versus fixtures we've then got xg and xa how important are they expected goals expected assists we've got stats versus the eye test so do you cover the stats or do you go with your gut and what you believe you're seeing on the tv and on the pitch and then finally we've got swords versus shields so that will be well, I'll, I'll just, I'll, when we hit it, I'll explain what that is. But they're the main four. And we've divvied up the work, Josh, haven't we? So I've yeah. taken two of them and done some research. You've taken the other two. So we'll be teaching each other and teaching the listeners about what we've, uh, what we've learned, won't we? I like it. Good. Yeah. We're swapping roles. You know, you get yeah. to be the teacher, I get to be a student, then flip it around. Good so, cop. Um, Bad cop. Yeah. Yeah. Lots to cover in all four of them, to be fair. All right. So, Josh, let's crack on ahead with our first one, which is form versus fixtures. So this is my, this fell into my lap to discover. So form versus fixtures, what does that mean? So that means when you're picking a player or picking your team lineup, do you look at the form of that particular player or do you look at the fixture that that player has so is if Bruno Fernandes is doing really well, banging in the penalties, banging in the goals, do you pick him if he has Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea in the next three? Do you go with his form or do you go with his fixtures? And this is just this is probably the the you know Taylor's oldest time debate in fantasy, I would say. 
do you which one do you go with some people go with just form some just with fixtures josh what do you what does it mean to you what do you are you a form man or you a fixtures man what are you oh um i'd say i'm a bit of both a mix of both i'm i was thinking about that as you were talking and i think when i'm selecting a new player you know making a transfer the first thing i'll do is sort by form for that defender or midfielder or attacker like whatever category okay so by default i think i first go by form that's probably the, the one that i see most and then once i've kind of whittled it down to the the options that i like i'll then look at fixtures afterwards and say mm. oh out of that two or three players what do their fixtures look like for the next mm-hmm. kind of two three four game weeks so i think i'm a form man but fixtures in there but as an afterthought for mainly me. form 80 percent form 20 percent fixtures would you say Ooh, 70 30 70 give me a 70 30 please 70 30 good yeah yeah i mean i think i'm the same and i think a lot of F- most managers will be a blend of the two i think for me before i started looking into this for this pod i was very much a form form guy like you were saying and for me fixtures only kind of came into it for me in season's gone by late in the season mainly when you've got the fodder so you've got the Norwich or the Fulham and by the end of the season I'm starting to captain players that are just playing Fulham you know hopefully I've got a team of heavy hitters anyway by that point so then I'm like right who am I captaining who's playing Fulham who's playing West Brom you know let's captain them Um, and again that's around the time of the season where you might be looking for differentials anyway to, to get an edge in your league so yeah, when, I, when I've got that tiebreaker choice, when it's, okay, got two captain level players here, Salah and KDB. Oh, Salah's playing West Brom. KDB's playing Man United. I think I'll go with, with Salah. So that was where, yeah, that was my sort of starting point on this. So I did a bit of digging. I was like, because I want to find out, you know, which, that's just my gut feeling and how I've played. But what do the stats actually say? Like what do, which one should you go for? basically. So I did a few, I've done a bit of, a bit of digging into the stats, but I actually found a fantastic article. It was actually written in 2018, but still applies today. Statistically, the article was called myth busting fantasy premier league form over fixture. And this, I've actually come across this before when I think back when it was published and this guy is a, he has his own kind of data analytics website, sports analytics site, I think he's a guy doing a PhD or something in it. And his name is, he's an Asian guy, so I don't want to misspell, mispronounce his name, but Jin, <laughs> Jin Hyun Chong. Jin Hyun Chong, there you go. Um, so he has done, he's done the hard work for me a little bit with, with this. And oh, he's Jin. put together a, a sort of machine learning statistical model based on the, he's got two seasons worth of data, 2016, 2017. And I'll, I'll put a link to the article under the under the video or in the podcast description or whatever. But he goes into, drills down into, over these two seasons, which ones should you have picked? Should you have gone for the informed players to predict the points? Or should you have gone for the players with the best fixtures? And his conclusion was was fascinating. So I'll re- put it so well, I'll read out to you his, his kind of one-line conclusion. So he says... If you're looking for clean sheet points, get defenders playing at home against weak teams. So that's a fixture pick. As for offensive points, try to chase players in form and worry less about fixtures. So reading through the whole article, he clearly comes to this distinction between if it's for defenders, 
go on fixture, for attackers, go on form, as he found that attackers on form, it kind of didn't matter who they were playing, they were always likely to score or get, get attacking returns. Whereas defenders, it makes a massive difference if they're playing a West Brom or a Fulham compared to if they're playing a, a Man City or a, a Liverpool. So that And that kind of makes sense because those great teams are going to score and a large part of defensive points is that clean sheet point, isn't it? So they're relying on a kind of team, more of a team game, really, the defenders. So the fixture makes more has more weighting on it. But for the attacking players, Salah can score great if he, even if the team lose. So that kind of made logical sense after I read it. It kind of fitted into to the real world and what makes sense. Yeah, what do you think of that? That's that's kind of where I where that landed, really. Well, firstly, I don't want to, you know, I'm never going to question or go against a professional researcher who's come to those kind of conclusions yeah. after reviewing <laughs> yeah. that data. That's dangerous <laughs> ground. But no, I've never considered it from from that perspective before, you know, kind mm. of splitting the approach between positions. I've only ever thought about it in terms of, you know, players mm. uh, not really thinking about whether it's defensive points or whether it's attacking points. It's exactly as you said, once you've heard the summary of course, it makes sense. It makes complete sense. Defensive players often act in defensive systems, don't they? The, mm. You know, the four or five defenders with a goalkeeper. Um, and you look at teams like Burnley that have been so good as a unit when they had everyone fit and injury free. Mm. They were formidable and getting clean sheet points left, right and centre and as a whole unit. Whereas, as you said, attacking returns, although they do act with their other attackers and getting assists and, and systems and such, they are kind of almost standalone. And therefore, if their form's that good, all they need is a couple of chances and they'll potentially mm. bag them away. So, yeah, um, yeah I've learned something, teacher Jack. I've learned there you something. Go. Yeah, I've learned time. something too. Yeah, reading that. I guess I had two other, there were just some caveats to it that I thought that I've, that I sort of often thought and I kind of developed when, when I was doing this. But, and that is both of those things are still subjective and up for debate and by, by both those things I mean form the quality of form and the quality of fixtures because many times I've looked at the fixture ticker or a fixture ticker out there and I've disagreed with what the person that's created it think is a hard fixture or an easy fixture and of course those things change over time don't they because a team a team themselves can be in and out of form not just an individual player. So some might say, so a good example would be Arsenal last season. On most of the fixture tickets, they were seen as a difficult fixture still. And that was despite them clearly not playing very well at all. The same with Spurs. And I think now more than ever, fixtures like West Ham, Villa, uh, Everton, Leicester, Southampton, I think you ask 10 people if that's a hard fixture and you'll get, 10 different answers you'll get 10 different rankings of how hard that fixture is so it's very very hard to to objectively say okay that's an easy fixture that's a hard fixture anyway isn't it so so i think that needs to be taken into account when you when you consider this yeah and i know what you mean i think it's we like we always like things boiled down to like a single figure or something so we can see it don't we like we want that fixture difficulty rating as a single figure just to yeah. be like oh it's measurable it's out of yeah. five like how how difficult is that but obviously one it's never that easy <laughs> simple just no, putting no. it as a figure of one to five and two as you said you know how current are these 
are these calculations? I mean, is mm. it season to season? Is it half a season? Often all it takes is one team to get an injury and that can change the whole form or their ability to perform or keep clean sheets or whatever. So dangerous ground. I know what you're saying. I guess it's um, listen to Jin and his, his summary Jin. or conclusion, but yeah. also as always do your research and take a feel for it in current time as well, how to apply it. Yeah. I'd say that the, the conclusion of that study should be taken as a broad rule, but don't use it as a be all and end all of right defenders are only on fixture attackers only on form like that's a that would be oversimplistic i would say but interesting that the the, the results skewed that way for sure and i guess um, the other thing as well is defenders sometimes are not only there for their clean sheet potential but also attacking returns nowadays especially i definitely agree i mean yeah personally i pick defenders for their attacking potential so fullbacks basically is is what I go for personally, um, but other people prefer that clean sheet potential, don't they? So, yeah, and it sometimes yeah. almost feels like cheating when a, a team plays a back three, as in three centre backs and then wing backs. Like often those wing backs are, you know, as attacking as your traditional mm. midfielder. And I yeah. remember, yeah, with Alonso, Marcus Alonso, wasn't it? it? Was kind of the breakout example of that, yeah. and everyone had to have him. And yeah, I mean, that's a topic for another day, I suppose, but should, that's that, it's the classic debate of should fantasy, should FPL Towers change the change the classification of players based on the way the modern game's going, which is those advanced fullbacks. Very hotly contested debate, and I don't have the answers, Josh, today for that one. That's, that's fine, you know, no. but for now, yeah. we can take advantage of those attacking fullbacks. And... We can, I'll take them. Thank yeah, you very cheers. much. Thank you very much, FPL Towers. Thank you kindly. Cool. So that was form versus fixtures. Should we take a little break, Josh, and then move on to the next one, which is expected goals and expected assists. How important are they? Massively. But tune in. <laughs> Ooh, spoiler. Spoiler. Okay. Uh, welcome back. So now, Jack, we're moving on to our next hot topic, which falls in my lap this time. And this is XG expected goals and expected assists. This one's a doozy. This one is a doozy. This one is a doozy. Thank you for letting me cover this topic. Um, You're welcome. So, yeah, first and foremost, need to start with the definitions. Expected goals, what is it? So it's a statistical measure for the quality of goal-scoring chances and the likelihood of them being scored. And Mm -hmm. these factors, the way they calculate it, the factors include the type of assist. So is it a shot with the head or the foot that's come to them? Um, The angle and distance of the shot, and whether it can be considered as a big chance, which I guess is, Mm -hmm. you know, is it inside uh, the six yard box? Like how easy is it basically? Sure. Um, And then obviously applying that, if you see an XG of 0.35, all that means in real terms is 35% of the time, the player is expected to score that chance. Mm-hmm. And so just to interject, sorry, just is that for that player specifically, or that's just for any striker? So a shot from a shot with 0.35 XG is the same for every player, right? It's not that Kane would have a 0.65 XG from that spot and 
um, McBurney would have a 0.21 XG. It's just, it's used across the board, right? Exactly. So ob- objective application of how easy that chance is, because we will get into the how it works, but obviously we can use the stat compared to actual performance, actual goals, yeah. and look at overperformance and underperformance. And then you can basically come to conclusions like, people are amazing finishers or poor finishers Um, but that isn't an index or a metric which is included in xg itself yeah yeah xa the definition is it basically measures the chance that the pass would result in a direct assist Mm -hmm. and that takes into account factors such as the type of pass and the location of the pass so from what i could see you know is a little bit less involved with the assist side the goals really seems to drill down into as many criteria which could impact their chance as possible. Sure. Um, so any, what are your thoughts on expected goals and expected assists? Do you, do you refer to them a lot? Like how often would you say you kind of look at those stats throughout the year and, and it impacts your decision-making? Yeah, I love them. I will say I absolutely bloody love them. When they kind of came surprised? into the they came into the the zeitgeist, didn't they? About two or three years ago, people just suddenly started say you hear pundits suddenly start saying them. I think a couple of books came out about them and things, and stats kind of really started becoming into the into the furore a bit more. But yeah, I absolutely adore what they mean and how they're cal- I think they're genius how they're calculated. You know that. You know, if a player has an XG of two in a game, then you know they should have scored two goals. Like that's such a useful way of telling form and how a team is doing creatively. What I've really struggled with though, and what I'm, maybe you could we could discuss now and you could shed some light on for me is is a player with that is underperforming their XG. So if a player has an XG of three goals in the last game but they didn't score any is that does that mean they're due a goal and you should get them in or does that mean that they're out of form and they should have scored three and they didn't score any they're they're awful you know that's the debate I constantly have myself is is this player due because they've got high xg or should I avoid them because because they they should be burying these chances and they're not you know that's such a difficult one for me every time and equally if a player scores Willock last season scored seven in a row, but he actually, I think, had only an XG of about two or three, which is still really good in those, that game. But he's overperforming his XG. So do I avoid him because he'll probably stop soon? Or he's clearly on hot form, so do I get him in? You know what I mean? It's those kind of things I've, I've never been sure on. Like all stats, you can never take them in isolation. I think that's the take home for any kind of use of stats, yeah. isn't it? Um but I've tried to take a look at XG and XA over the last two seasons and and the resulted performance, like how many goals those players scored looking at the top goal scorers and and try to come to some kind of conclusion like you did in yours as to you know what approach people can take from this. Right. Um, so if we look at the 2020-2021 season, mm-hmm. what's well, before we, is... Sorry, Josh, before we do, what oh. did you, before you did all this, what was your view on on XG and XA and how did you apply it to your FPL game if at all I put a lot of stake in it um so mm. I think it's hard to you well it's it's hard to use a lot of the time 
throughout the season because obviously the stats are being collated and, and almost you, you get you see the XG kind of almost after the fact sometimes don't you? you see the results of that after the fact so getting like the XG in real time for so many players it's easy to get a lot of the time for you know the top goal scorers and everything but sometimes I find myself missing the access to that that data like in real time when I when I'm making decisions I want to but I think especially at the beginning of the season and especially for the high value players it pretty much almost defines like who I pick right from the beginning and who I stick with throughout the season right the captaincy choices maybe it's me not really having a bookmark in my head throughout the year to be like go to the go to the stats straight away the resources that I go to you know like reddit forums or listening to to different um resources often they kind of package that for you don't they so you don't have to really think about it they they do it for you and then they come to the conclusion for you but I often don't find myself looking at the stat breakdown you know and being like hmm the table wise I should pick this person or that person Hmm. um but yeah I think it's more massively important and my decisions were led by that cool yeah Continue, my friend. Continue, what, continue. What have you learned? What have I learned? Well, uh, not a lot. No, only joking. Um, so 2021, what we've got is the top two goal scorers were Harry Kane, 23 goals, and then Mohamed Salah, Paul Mo, slightly behind him with one goal, uh, one goal less at 22. Mm-hmm. They both had the two highest expected goals for that year. So immediately you're seeing a trend of the two players that have the highest expected goals came brought back the highest goals themselves and therefore the highest points um what's also interesting is those two players their expected goals compared to their actual goals the difference was was tiny so harry kane mm. scored 23 goals his expected goals over the course of the season was 22.17 he scored wow. 23 goals wow so the difference is 0.83 so what you're saying is Harry Kane scores pretty much all of the goals he's expected to score. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's consistent with that. You know, it, he he isn't particularly overperforming, you'd say, looking at the stats. In fact, he's not overperforming because he's pretty much on the button and he's not underperforming. Um, he just gets his chances and cool as a cucumber puts them away. He um, is. And he gets a lot of chances. And that's the key with him. He creates yeah. loads of chances himself for himself and clinically buries them. I suppose you could draw from that. Exactly. And out of the the sample size of like the top 10 goal scorers, he also has the highest expected goals per 90 minutes. Mm. Um, And I haven't really mentioned too much expected goals in 90 minutes because there are some anomalies out there because obviously there are some players that have played a low number of minutes and it skews it. So the top, the top person is uh, some random dude actually for the top goals. It's uh, Antoine Hackford for Sheffield United last year. Legend. You had Legend an expected uh, XG90 of 2.33. Is that because um, he came... So because he came on for maybe two minutes, but in one game, and then actually had a couple of chances, that was his XG per night for the whole season, right? And that's why you're the stat man, Jack, because indeed yeah. he had one appearance and he played four minutes. There you go, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's exactly exactly that. So he didn't get any goals, but his expected goals, he just had some incredible chances. And of course, if you were to look at that stat in isolation, you'd think, this guy, yeah. you know, I need to get him into my team. But 
that we obviously know that's not the case. If we look at the next person down, so if we look at Salah, again, 22 goals for that season, but his XG was 20.25. So the difference here was 1.75, but really that's, that's nothing. So he's kind of returning what you'd expect him to return. And given, you know, he's playing for one of the top six teams and he's one of their main players, you expect him to get chances. He does get chances and he puts those chances away. So they're, mm-hmm. they're like obviously two very safe bets. Where it gets interesting is when you get past those players because it starts to kind of open up quite a bit. So the third highest goal scorer for that season was Bruno Fernandes uh, with 18 goals. So trailing Salah by four. Mm. But his XG drops significantly compared to those other two. His is at 16.02. Interesting. Um, which is actually you know, less. Uh, so it was minus 1.98 compared to his his actual goal. So he was actually overperforming. The, the stats don't allow us to exactly unpack as to why he was overperforming, but we could make some assumptions that it could be to do with his position. So as he's a midfielder, he, he is more likely to take shots from distance possibly, which have a low expectancy to score. But obviously, as we know, he is very good technically with his shooting. So Maybe he is performing very well with those shots and getting goals from distance. Um, Also, his free kicks. We've discussed before that free kicks statistically don't represent a good expectancy to score. However, because he's so good at free kicks, his return is maybe better than what the objective statistics would show. So yeah, a little bit of conflict between his performance that season compared to the first two because he's he's overperforming and and he represents a somewhat slightly different player someone who's going to be taking shots from different positions and he himself playing a different position compared to what you'd say the more out and out forwards so i think looking at the top 3 what you've got is the top 2 clearly is evidence of how useful xg is as, as a kind of indicator of who you should pick. It says that they're the best two for the year and they scored the most goals. So, you know, safe bet for picking them. Mm. As soon as you get kind of third down, you start seeing a, the break in the link between the higher XGs and the goals scored. But wow. generally speaking, what you'd say is, you know, the players with the top five XGs for the season, they're all, four of them are in the top five yeah, there's scored. a clear correlation then, isn't there? Yeah. Interesting. Is there anyone who completely outperformed their XG, like who scored loads of goals, but actually had such a lower a lower one? Because you hear people talk about people like Vardy who overperformed their XG. I don't know if that's true. I've only heard people say that about him. I haven't actually looked at the stats of him and said, oh yeah, he is outperforming his XG, you know? It's just one of those things that gets talked about yeah, and what's interesting is, yeah, he is the guy that you normally look at for the season and say his goals is normally greater mm. than his XG. But actually, last season, maybe he's getting old. Don't, you hear it here first, kids. He um, but his the, his XG was actually higher. So he underperformed significantly. He had the third yeah. highest XG out of all attackers, all players, his XG was 19.94. So when was this? Which season? This was last season. So was it? 2020, that's, 2021. That's interesting, isn't it? You wouldn't have thought that. Uh, and he scored 15 goals. Mm. So his 
is the difference was 4.94. Yeah, he should have scored five more goals than he did, JB. Exactly. There you go. Which, so he's so again, yeah, he's underperformed it over that season. Which is um, which is huge. So and the, the other thing that I've kind of noticed as a trend is when you're looking at the players with the top XG in the top 10 that you're looking at, only three of them overperformed or you know were very close to what they should have got or, mm. or overperformed. Seven of them all underperformed and by greater margins. So the three that we looked at before, they returned more goals than their expected goals, Kane, Salah mm. and Bruno Fernandes. Fernandes was the one, uh, sorry, with the with the greatest he his expected goals were 16 he performed he came back with 18 goals so he performed better right the, the other seven the difference is actually a, the range is a, a lot greater so as we said Vardy's is almost five goals he, sh- he was missing out on his X- xg was 19.94 and his goals were only 15 and then other people like antonio he scored 10 goals but his xg was at 14 so it seems like the range is greater on the underperforming side than the overperforming. Sure. Although it's interesting, isn't it? Because Vardy, despite underperforming his XG by loads, would still have been a better pick than a striker that overperformed their XG, but had such a lower XG than 15. You know what I mean? So like you'd want to pick, you might say, oh, well, you know, West Brom striker, he's outperforming his XG, he's doing really well. But if that XG is only five anyway, and he scores eight, you'd still rather pick Vardy, who scores 10, but should have scored 15. You know? It's a strange... I guess it's even though, compared to what he should have scored, he didn't get as much as he should have done, but he still Mm. scored a lot of goals for the season. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. And the two actually that were the highest overperformers in the top 10 goal scorers for the season were Gundogan mm. for Man City. So he, he scored 13 goals and his XG was at 9.57. Right. So he overperformed. And the other one that really stands out is Heung-Min Sun, who scored mm. 17 but his XG was a lowly 11.02. Wow, yeah. So he's, I mean, he is known as an amazing finisher, isn't he, son? Scored some unbelievable shots. Exactly. Um, so I think what we took from that is, yeah, the top two really rung true with, with the reliability of XG versus the actual goals. But after that, it kind of really opens up. And I just, as a point of comparison, I compared it to the 2019-2020 season. And what was immediately obvious is there's a lot more variability in that season. So the top goal scorer was Jamie Vardy with 23 goals. Mm. And his XG was 18.90. So he overperformed by four that year. Yeah, that makes sense for him. Yeah, yeah, which is that that's that kind of um, stereotypical the Vardy, that's where the Vardy stereotype comes from, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then the other, second that year was Aubameyang with 22 goals. And then his XG was 16. So he, over, he overperformed by almost six goals. So that mm. year we saw loads of overperformers. And then this year we've seen kind of, for strikers especially, they either get what they're supposed to or they, they're massively underperforming. 
so yeah but i think what we've taken from that is we've seen over two seasons a lot of different data you can't really compare them over the two seasons um so that's the the biggest warning sign is you know this what is this year going to bring off future years it may not ring true to what we've seen last year the year even the year before and then the other thing as well is for every player that you think is consistent and returns like Kane did and Salah did last season there'll be a player that you you can't trust and and, and may not return as much mm, but tricky. then you take into account your point as well as if they even if they're underperforming by two or or more if they're still scoring 15 goals plus then they're a great option you don't care do you yeah because that's interesting about Salah because Salah for me had always I'd always had the impression just watching him that he actually should score way more than he does. And I imagined that he would underperform his XG because he just seems to squander a lot of chances. He shoots so much that he misses a lot. But clearly he's actually performing as... It's interesting to hear that last season he performed as he should have because that goes against my, and we'll come into this later, but the eye test for me says, oh, Salah is missing loads. Um, But clearly not. Yeah, I would agree with you as well. When I'm, you know, as a Liverpool fan, I feel like I watch a lot of Salah throughout the year. And I think to myself throughout the year, he gets so many chances. Yeah, he scores a lot of goals and he's pivotal, mm. but he gets so many chances. But looking at the stats, he, he's returning well on those chances. I guess he also scores some great goals, which would counteract in the XG game. Say he misses a, say he misses a one-on-one that's like an XG of 0.8. If you then score one that's 0.2 in that same game, you've made up for that miss in terms of the XG, haven't you? Because you've got an yeah. XG of one and you've scored one, but you scored the 0.2 one. You scored the hard one, Mo, but you missed the fucking easy one. But, exactly. And there are players like that, aren't there? But yeah. But we still love cool. them. So yeah, the conclusions that oh, I yeah. took were over a large sample size, You know that is, that's your best metric or indication to pick who's going to perform best. Um, but it doesn't account for overperformance and underperformance, which no one can account for anyway. And, you know, always should be considered in combination with, you know, conditions. So if people are carrying injuries or what their form is for both the player and the team, um, possibly what fixtures they have, although you've already covered form versus fixtures and, and also things like team tactics, you know, are they particularly defensive? Uh, do they, do they go on the break, take chances on the break, et cetera? You know, how many chances are these players going to get? And also availability of teammates. You know, you look at things like Kane and Son. They, te- they tend to play better. The, the Spurs tend to play better mm. when they're both on the pitch. And any any player on a Man City, with a Man City shirt plays better when Kevin De Bruyne is on the pitch. So mm. um, all of that to take into account. But would you agree with those conclusions? Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, I think that is that is very true. I like I like what you've put about. Um, so yeah, not using SGNXA to inform your decisions is like taking an exam without looking at the practice papers. They tell you where to look. Do they still maybe wrong? Ah, you like that? <laughs> I like that, Josh. Yeah, very good analogy. Took a long um, term coming up with that one. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're so, they're right. They're such a useful tool to have in your toolbox. And if you're aware of a player. You know, it's that classic thing. If a striker scores for, if a Burnley, if Chris Wood scores two, loads of people that are just, they just hear that result or if they watch it, you know, on the highlights, they might bring him in. 
But if you know that the XG was so small for Burnley that game, you've got that extra bit of information of Chris Wood probably isn't going to score two next game. Or, you know, maybe, I mean, I like Chris Wood, to be fair. That's probably a bad example. But, you know, if a striker, a striker comes on as a serb and scores, you know, it's that whole thing. You're in form enough to know that you're that it's probably not a good idea to bring him in. And a lot of casual players will bring them in just because they've scored. So I think it's that extra layer of of knowledge that, that can give you the edge for sure. Perfect. So yeah, that is XG and XA. Hopefully that okay. conclusion is useful to some people. Um, uh, let's take another little break. And then after that, we've got stats versus the eye test. Oh, doozy. Doozy. And we're back. Yeah, straight on to the next one. Third topic, stats versus the eye test. Um, love it. Love it. So I was really happy when I first got this. And then the more I looked into this, the harder I found to really reach a conclusion. So that's the mm. spoiler. Okay. Um, but skip what the I, whole, let's skip it then. Forget skip it. the whole thing. No don't, conclusion. Don't, we don't need it. Don't so need we'll it. talk about it. No. I'll give, <laughs> I'll give them a best shot. Let's go with that. <laughs> The best kind of intro that I could think to this was that you know, stats obviously are based on current or historic data. And then you try to use that to predict the future. And that kind of gives you hopefully a narrowed view of options. So you can pick the most likely things that will happen, like who's going to score most, who's going to get clean sheets, etc. But there's so many variables that they try to boil down to these single figures like XG and XA or mm. fixture difficulty that often so many things are missed. And often we try to fill that void with an eye test and saying that, you know, maybe my expert eye or someone else's expert eye can see the bigger picture in some cases and pick up on what these stats may be missing or not telling the whole story of. That sounds great. But what I found is obviously the only way that you can tell that something is correct or not is if you've got a clear, de- clear definition. And there is really no clear, clear definition of what the eye test is from what mm, I can see. Of course, it's going to be very tough to, to get historical data on. Exactly. It's, it's subjective. So, you know, we could sit yeah. down and watch a game and I could be like, Lamptey's having a stormer here and you'd be like he's having a shocker because we're looking at it from like completely <laughs> two two different perspectives mm. and often that does happen right Jack? when we sat down you're like that player's having a great game and I'm like actually no he's having a terrible yeah. game you're right you're correct most of the time but I don't know about that Mr. Stats, uh, Mr. Stats. Yeah. Um, so basically that's what I've understood of stats versus eye test what do you what's your take on it yeah I think you've done yeah you've summed it up pretty well there so it's yeah stats versus eye test is should you go, should you make your FPL decisions? So, so who to transfer in, who to captain, who to get rid of, based on the stats about a given player, a team, or based on you watching the game last night, you saw what happened, you know who played well and who didn't, do you bring them in or not? And yeah, this is, this is probably the hottest debate every year, isn't it, in the FPL quote-unquote community? Stats versus eye test. For me personally, I 
I, I'm a true believer in I am not a reliable subjective viewpoint of football. You know, I've got so many, I've got loads of bias myself with teams I like and dislike, who I support, players I like and dislike. I miss things. I can, you know, I don't watch every game. Like You can't watch every single game. I don't go to the games anymore. I don't have that. So more and more, I like to lean on stats over the eye test um, for me personally. And times I can remember times, there are times when I've gone with the eye test against the stats and I can distinctly still remember times where that's burnt me. You know, I've watched a player and thought, this guy's this guy's class. I know he hasn't scored and assisted, but this guy, just watching him play, I know he's going to do well. So that's that's St. Maximan, Sigurdsson. Trezeguet. Uh, Trez, no, no, he, he looks shit anyway. Uh, no, but like, or, you know, Villa, yeah, Villa strikers, because I'm a Villa fan. I will view them. I will view Villa players through a lens of bias that I cannot, no matter how hard I try, I cannot get rid of. And whether that's a negative bias or a positive bias, it's still a bias for me. So um, so I'm much more stat heavy now. And each season I play, I become, become much more also. But yeah, that's my, that's my take, man. And I don't know, what do you think? Is that, what do you like? How do you like to play? Well, I think the funny thing is, is obviously now my opinion is skewed from what I've kind of been looking at. Because I think my opinion has been molded by almost by what I've found. So it's, ex- and what I found is exactly relates exactly to what you said. So, you know, stats are objective for, for the most part, you know, they are very specific. So as I said at the beginning, they don't include everything, but they don't simply rely on the one game that you've watched or the minutes that you've watched when you've not been going to grab a cup of tea or something, mm. they include it in its entirety. You know, every minute a player has been on the pitch, a stat that you're looking at will take into account what they've done to contribute towards that stat. And the eye test that you said will, will rely probably on such a small sample size on something that you're looking at whilst maybe trying to do something else. I think, unfortunately, what normally happens is there will be some cases where the eye test works throughout the year and there'll probably be someone on like Reddit will be like, I picked so-and-so differential mm. striker for like the Willock for the seven goals. I mean, goals it's, I mean let's be real, man. It's a great feeling. It's a great, oh, when yeah. you go on eye test and they, and it comes through, I mean, that's what fantasy FPL is all about. I think, isn't it really like, that's the purest joy of fantasy when you pick a player because you saw him do a trick on TV or like you just fancied him because you got that gut feeling always oh, done well. And then he smashes it. It's a great feeling, isn't it? Like, and it is, it is a bit soulless just looking at the stats and say, well, this player's due a goal. Like look at his XGA conceded or whatever like that. And then they do well, that's a bit more soulless, isn't it? Than the pure experience of, yeah, he looks good. I'll take a pun on him. Oh, he's, I'll make him a captain. Oh, he scored a brace. Great. Great. Yeah, so, yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I think maybe I can play devil's advocate because first of all, I do agree that feeling when you've brought in a player who has no underlying stats to say they're going to do well. And in your mini league, you're the only person with them. And then they suddenly do bits for like five game weeks. And you're like suddenly saying to everyone, 
I know more about football than all of you, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the the flip side of that is one: how many times does that play off? And oh, never. Yeah, it's a yeah, lottery. Yeah, it's a lottery day. Because you know we've got to give that advice to to the listeners. You know that's that's got to yeah. be the take the yeah, take. Don't home. do that. Is yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It feels good, but don't don't do hmm. it. Um, and the other thing is compare that to the feeling of maybe being a little bit more robotic and winning winning your mini league <laughs> yeah well that fe- obviously that feels great as yeah. well that is that, that is great yeah and i um, think you know it isn't quite as bad as robotic pick template um you know it's no, player no. special subs it's always that you still have it's to make extreme, a decision yeah. on you know but even if you really narrow it down, like you're picking between three or four or five, yeah. five players every time, even you, when it's an easy decision. If it was just all about stats, then there'd be a perfect way to play, wouldn't there? We'd all have exactly the same teams and we'd all, you know, this, the beauty of it is there is always that subjectivity, isn't there? There's always that element of the eye test, quote unquote. Although Magnus Carlsen does pretty good. And I he feel, and I chess, feel he... Chess Grandmaster Magnus Carlsen. I mean, he is half robot, right? So I feel I mean, like he's, he's a freak, Josh. Let's not. Yeah. yeah, we can't. Yeah, mere, us mere not, mortals can't. Let's not get down about that. Yeah, this, this podcast isn't for him, is it? It's not for him. If he's listening, we love you and hate you. Well done, Mag. Yeah, yeah, well done. Congratulations. Um, um, so yeah, that that is, we've we've kind of almost filtered down to a conclusion, um, which isn't going to be very fruitful for a lot of people, but it is. Stats. We're saying stats, aren't we? Go with stats and we're, we're going, we're going stats, eyes. but that's don't know, even that, watch the games. I feel like it's boring. You know, <laughs> I wanted so to be. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Although what what I would say on that is, it's when you say I test, when you say you, when you're watching a player and you're making a decision on them, really you are using stats, aren't you? You're using information that you're processing through your eyes into your brain, and you're looking at things like have they got a good shot. Should they have scored? Have they scored? Do they look good in the ball? Are they a good passer? So you're actually, you are using stats. You're just gathering them yourself weirdly, aren't you? And sort of mm. processing them through your very flawed brain and eyes and opinions. So that it kind of is, they are sort of one and the same, except stats are there. Someone's done the digesting for you and they're already there on paper, you know? No, I, I agree. I think... I think it's the level of precision is is the difference there, isn't it? So the whole eye test is at a very high level. You'd be like, oh, he, he had a chance from inside the box from a decent angle, ball past him. Whereas, you know, we talked about the definition of XG earlier. Very, very precisely, they will break down and give a value to that chance yeah. and say it's difficulty. And you and I will be like, oh, it's low, medium, high in terms of difficulty. And then they'll break it down into, mm. you know, like thousands of a, a like a figure within a scale of, of like that. Yeah. Um, and that that's the difference. And then when you apply that to everything, obviously the degree of accuracy. It's unfathomable, isn't it? To the, it, yeah. to the human brain. Yeah. I mean, I, and that's where it's going, you know, we're going to XG and XA, just the tip of the iceberg of where these stats are going to go, aren't they? They're going to get so in depth and so, scarily predictive i think that you know playing fpl will become pointless in 50 years or something but what i i mean what i find statistics that when i find stats really really useful and in terms of probability is when they're sort of counterintuitive so for example every football fan gets really excited when their team wins a corner 
but actually the odds of you scoring from that corner are something like I read a book on it called um, a really good, really good book on football stats, basically. But they, they broke it down and showed that there's a one in nine chance that your player, the player from your, the attacking team will get the first touch on that corner. So one in every nine corners, one of your players will get the first touch. And then there's a one in 13 chance or something that that touch will then lead to a goal so you compound the one in nine on the one in 13 and suddenly you realize corners are actually pretty statistically irrelevant for for scoring a goal same with direct free kicks how often do they get missed 99 out of 100 direct free kicks get missed don't they but everyone when Ronaldo steps up everyone's excited he's terrible he himself is even worse than the average player at them. so I think love Ronnie though I know you love you I know you're a Ronnie man (laughs) But he is pretty poor at them statistically. Oh, he's like terrible. Most, like most players are. Although so there is, you're waiting for that lightning to strike, and that did happen during the Euros in the England game. I think when Damsgaard stepped up, as you said. Oh, be, exactly. Yeah. It'll be. Fun. I even I, did. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't yeah. there actually, but I've been <laughs> yeah, told that, that game you were. Yeah, that game. You were. I was like, oh, don't worry, it's just a free kick. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> oh, he's banged it um, in. Yeah. But then you remember that so much. But if he hit that free kick. 50 more times it's not going in yeah um, but as you said every time it sticks in your brain every time i see damsgaard step up for a free kick no matter yeah. who he's playing for i'm th- i'm gonna think he's you're gonna, gonna keep watching in. yeah <laughs> it's those it is those mental fallacies that everyone suffers with you know lottery lottery winners keep buying lottery tickets don't they because they think they are they're more lucky with it you know millionaire. if it, a roulette wheel is red 10 times you think well you can go either way can't you think well it's probably going to be red again or i'm due a black the reality is neither it's 50 yeah. 50 um the universe doesn't owe you anything yeah it's funny that isn't it but everyone feels like suffers from it even even if you know yourself and are aware of those facts i'll still get excited when villa get a corner kick you know you can't exactly. help it um, every, every Saturday going into changing rooms I'll still look for the shirt number 14 oh yeah you, I mean you're another level of superstition <laughs> I've got to have that 14 <laughs> you're another level um, yeah I've, I've kind of I've, I've consciously try and shake those off but um, yeah so we're coming down heavy on the stats aren't we really massively uh, I, test, I mean real. you asked me before what was the, looking at right at the beginning um, you know, what's the ratio between form and fixtures? And I said 70-30. If I was to flip this back on you, what's the ratio of your trust in stats versus the eye test? What would you say? Uh, yeah, it'd be 95-5. You know, I think yeah. I could do as well in FPL not watching any matches <laughs> as watching all the matches. I'll say that. And uh, that sounds bad. Actually, well, Obviously, we... that would be miserable. I love watching football. But I think FPL-wise, just by going off how the games went and the form players. I think I'd do as well, if not better, because I wouldn't have these St. Maximans turning my head. Um, yeah. Yeah, That's no, my I agree statement. entirely. That's a good point to end on, St. Maximan. Love him. Cool. Yeah, love um, you, man. Stats versus eye test, that's, that's done. So we're going to take another little break and then we'll come back with the fourth and final, Jack, which is your topic. What are you going to tell us about? Next up, Josh, it's Swords versus Shields. Delightful. Zelda. Love it. Mm. Um, (laughs) Speak to you soon.
Josh, oh, we're back. We're back and it's back. The baton is passed back to me for our final topic of the pod, which is swords versus shields. So this is, yeah. So this is, it's a lot, it's just, it's a kind of more simple concept than the ones we've covered before, I think. So what does it mean? Swords versus shields. So it was a, it was coined. I did some digging and a guy called FPL Rusa. Oh, him. Originally, I believe, coined this phrase on a, I think it was on an F Fantasy Football Scout forum. And all he means, he or she, meant by swords versus shield is a sword is a low-owned player, a player with low ownership across the game. And a shield is a player with high ownership, so someone who everybody has. So the idea is with a sword, with a low-owned player, you, you can attack the rankings you can do if they do well no one else not many other people have them so relative to them you go up the rankings whereas a shield if you have Salah because everyone else has Salah you're not going to gain a lot if he does well but if he does do well and you've got him it saves you that rank falling so if he does well you've got him so don't worry because if you don't have him everyone else is going to shoot up the ranks. So the big debate is, do you load your team up with swords with low percentage owned players? So if they all do well, no one else has them as you shoot up the ranks. Or do you load up on shields to protect your ranking and to protect how well you do? But with the sacrifice of if they do well, you're not going to shoot up as high in the rankings as you do with the swords. So that's, that's what it's all about, really. So do you, when you're playing, Josh, do you have that concept in your mind? Do you care about ownership overall or how do you deal with that? Yeah, now that you've introduced it that way, yeah, I I think I do. I'm very, you know me, I'm a risk adverse person. So generally I go out with my shields, like definitely for the start of the season, I'll try and pick up from all of the resources, what are the the most commonly owned and who are most people going to go with the safe bets, basically. The only point in which I'll probably be looking at swords is if one, I'm performing terribly like throughout the year, sure. um, quite black and white. And that's like kind of below half point in the mini league, you know, over a million overall ranking. Then it's like swords have got to come out. But the only, um, the only point, other point in which I'd kind of look at maybe using a sword in a position where I've got a high rank or doing well in the mini league is to target a specific rival in the mini league. So using a, using a sword, Mm. maybe specifically to target jumping them. So not overall rank, but just someone that they don't have who, well, who I think they don't have unless they've obviously purchased or transferred that person in, in that one game week to try and, to try and jump them. So Generally a shield, but try to use swords in very specific scenarios, I'd say. Cool. What about cool. you? Yeah, yeah. I've yeah, I've kind of ebbed and flowed in my thinking over the seasons with, with this one. So I've often two seasons ago I had a re- had my worst season in, in in many years, really, and there are a few reasons for it. But one of them was I became obsessed with ownership. So I became completely that FPL game week site which is an amazing site, but it showed me suddenly I had this thing that showed me in clear bar graphs, how much another player was owned by the rest of my league and by 
uh, the overall game and the top 10K in the game. So I, and I took that, I remember that year, I took it as a put off, you know, oh, Bruno Fernandes, 85% of my league has him. Point is bringing him in because he's not going to help me at all. Now, of course, what happened is Bruno did really well and I completely bombed out. And that then, but then that happening, just it was the classic keep on digging, Jack, keep on digging. Because now what's the point in bringing Bruno in? I need to claw back the ranking. Bruno's not going to help me. I know I should have had him before, but Bruno won't help me because 85% of the people above me already have him. So I need someone else. Oh, and lo and behold, Bruno scores again. And I'm even further behind. So that was a massive thing, I trap I fell into um, that I actively wanted to avoid last season. So instead, last season, I just, um, I put far less weight into the ownership and didn't think, is this player a sword? Is this player a shield? Um, and tried to think, right, is this player good? Is, are they going to get points? If they are, don't worry about the ownership. Apart from when it came, as you said, Josh, when it came to the crunch at the end and I'm vying for positions in mini leagues, then I'll look at the player above me and say, oh, they don't have him. I'll bring him in. They do have him. I'll avoid bringing him in because I've got to try and overtake this guy. So, yeah, that's my kind of my before looking into it more. That was my view on, on the sword and shield thing. But again, similar to the stats versus eye tests. Sorry, Josh, you're going to. I just said, no, it makes like it. It's quite funny, isn't it? Because we're talking about swords versus shields. And actually, you've chosen option C, which is majority of the time, don't even look at swords and shields. Don't True. even consider them to be on the table. And if you're kind of looking at it philosophically, like if you're, if you're a sprinter, stay in your lane, focus on the finish line, don't look left and right. Good analogy, yeah. And just kind of keep going, Usain Bolt style. Don't worry about what they're doing. Actually, yeah. he I mean, does look left and right, but he's that good. But, <laughs> yeah, he's, you know yeah I mean. he's doing that because he's bored. <laughs> um, what I what I'd caveat it with actually is I I changed my use of that FPL game week bar stuff to so the start of the game would kick off and I'd have a look at right who is the highest owned player that I don't have, who is it in that chart that they give. And then that would almost become my watch list of players. So I'd be like, okay, I don't have KDB. He's the highest owned player. So I know he's my most deadly player not to have. And if he stayed like that for a couple of weeks and started scoring, he would become my priority player to bring in to protect myself. So it was almost like a list of potential shields that I needed to buy throughout the season. So I'd be like, right, I need Kevin now. He's killing me now. Bring him in. Done. Okay, who's the next? On to the next one in the list. Da, 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 da. so it kind of went it it was useful in that sense but doing so doing some research into this i came across a really good article on a site called the fantasy football geek site and really and it's titled i don't know if it's titled this oh yeah controlled risk it's called and really again really good article goes into a fair bit of depth but his conclusion of what i agree with is and it's probably a fairly obvious one, but it's go with a blend. So go with a blend of shields and swords in your armory, really. So have, and he says, go for the high, the high value, high-owned players, the Salas, De Bruins, Brunos, Canes. Make sure they're in your team because they will kill you if you don't have them. And there's a reason they're high-owned, isn't there? There's a reason shields are high-owned is because they're the deadly players. And if you don't have them, then you will suffer but then he says for the peripheral players, for the low, low value players, 
definitely get some swords in there. Like have some fun, go for players that aren't high owned that you think are going to do well. And that's where you'll make your gains. You know, you won't make your gains by ditching Salah because it just because everyone has him like I did that season. Um, so I think that's a good, a good, a good conclusion of that really is to have that blend, make sure you've got the dangerous shields and arm yourself with some good, good differential low value swords. Yeah. No, I think um, everyone wants to find that, like you mentioned then taking risks on low value, lesser owned players. And that's trying to find the Lundstrom's, the Dallas's of the world, isn't it? Before everyone jumps on the bandwagon. And I guess that's where, you could really see some value in making a real difference. The problem is, is by the time that they become apparent, they've strung together for probably four or five game weeks worth of form. And they're almost a shield by that point, aren't they? Um, as the ownership jumps up. But I guess yeah. like sometimes you can be as thinking, as you're saying, the link between shields and actually, you know, their, their returns, like often, I guess they're based on last season's returns, but also, some weird mix of you know the favorite players in in a season as well isn't it so of course they'll be the highest scoring in terms of points but you'll find some players have high ownership when you know, like rashford always has a relatively high ownership even when he hasn't performing well because there's just tons of united fans out there basically yeah. that they, they want Same they want to see him do well yeah um yeah and it's just it's one of those things that just because they're our shield doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be performing. I guess that's what happened with the Bruno year, didn't it, for you? It was a breakout year for him. His first season, I think, wasn't it, for, for United? Mm, yeah. No one knew he was going to perform the way that he did, but immediately off the bat, he had high ownership because of the excitement of a massive fan base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it just came in good good for them. But, mm. no, I like, I like your summary. I like the... Yeah. Stick with your shields, and then well, that fits. It fits my philosophy. That's why I like. Yeah, that's it. why you love it. <laughs> yeah, like confirmation shields. bias. You gotta love it. Couple uh, of little swords. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I guess the only point I'd end on there as well is it two shields can make a sword. So I always remember the year Robbo and Trent were doing really well. Both had pretty high ownership, but the percentage of people that owned both of them was quite low because they were so expensive. So actually, having them both was a sword in itself. So two shields. So don't view them in isolation, these players. So if you know that that combo of players is unique and the more you, the more combinations there are, the more unique it'll be. So yeah, don't be put off by a shield if you can get two of them and make, make a lovely little scouser sword out of it. Point, pointy shield. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, nice. Uh, yeah, so yeah, good. that's what I'd, I'd end on there. So that's, that's swords and shields beautiful lovely and that's the end of the the four topics so we've reached conclusions for all of them um generally speaking i guess the conclusions are as we expected but yeah hopefully all the listeners have found something useful at least in the discussions and the the things that we could drag out to get to those conclusions yeah i've i've learned a lot josh i don't know about you i've learned a lot we've had some laughs we've had some some tears we've had some japes yeah really good really enjoyed that the tick and of course you know if if there's any other big topics like this that we've missed or maybe a big discussion point then feel free to uh to get in touch definitely please do leave your comments below exactly boom uh, uh, perfect so i guess it's that's we'll wrap it up there and um keep an eye out for episode three cheers thanks everyone cheers, cheers josh all right thanks jack Bye-bye. bye bye